a science story, huh? It was that golden moment because science was on my side. Hi, everyone. I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Rochelle Williams. It was recorded in March 2016 at the Koshland Museum as part of a collaboration with the Merseyan Science and Technology Policy Graduate Fellowship. I think you're in the wrong class. So those were the first words I heard when I entered day one in a graduate physics course while I was pursuing my doctorate in engineering science at a predominantly white institution. Not a hello, how are you doing, welcome. No, in all but uttered, you don't look like us, so you must be in the wrong place. Sadly, I wasn't even surprised. I was in semester number three, and that just wasn't the first time that the intersection of my race, gender, and sometimes class met and were questioned because of my chosen academic field of engineering. There was one time I was visiting my professor during his office hours, and this is probably the fifth or sixth visit, and he leans over and says to me, you know, I'm not really that surprised you're in here so often. Students from HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, typically have lower math ability, so I'm assuming I'll see you for the rest of the semester. Nah, he didn't see me again. As a matter of fact, no professor saw me anymore after that. There was also a time I was sitting in class and I responded to a question that was posed, and instead of the professor engaging me in a conversation like I had noticed he did with the other guys in the class, Keep in mind, I'm in an engineering PhD program. I am the only girl in the class. When the guy answers the question, I get really upset because not only did he just repeat what I said, but in a deeper voice, the teacher begins to engage him in a deeper conversation. And I'm just sitting there like, I just said the same thing. But when that guy asked me if I was in the right place, it really made me think, am I really in the right place? But this was day one. I don't think I really gave it too much thought after that. I just was there to focus and to become an engineer. Because ever since I was a little girl, I knew three things to be very true about my life. One, I was going to be an engineer. Two after my all-time favorite show, A Different World, aired, I was going to Spelman College. <laughs> and three, I was a shy introvert from Louisiana. So that meant music was the gateway to every emotion inside of me. I was lucky because I had parents who truly loved me and saw something great inside of me. I fell in love with engineering around the second or third grade. I started building model rockets and they entered me into weekend courses at the local university. I also started going to an engineering summer institute and that was probably grades four through eight. 
I then went on to the high school for engineering professions and engineering and science was all fun and games until I got to senior year of physics. Oh, senior year of physics. So I will never forget this day. And this was when we were first introduced to the conservation of energy. Energy cannot be created nor destroyed, only transferred from one form to another. And then the teacher starts throwing around terms like isolated systems and kinetic and potential energy. And I'm sitting there like, what did I get myself into? And the only word I could remotely relate to during that class was potential. Because in addition to having to go to engineering camp every summer, my sister and I also had to go to Baptist Youth Encampment. And that meant singing these awful campfire songs. And ours was, I am a promise. I am a possibility. I am a promise with a capital P. I am a great big bundle of potentiality. Now you see why I went into engineering, right? <laughs> so despite the fact that the conservation of energy completely went over my head in that class, there was absolutely nothing that teacher could do to stop me from becoming an engineer and from getting to Spelman College that fall. I was lucky because my senior year, I was blessed with the miseducation of Lauryn Hill, which I believe is probably one of the best albums of our generation. So after high school, I got into Spelman College, check number one, and it was hands down the most rewarding experience of my life. There is nothing like a historically black college and university. The camaraderie, the friendship, the love, the hate, the sororities, fraternities, football games, it is an experience like none other. Spelman College taught me two things a love for self, and a love for my community. I understood from day one that my education was not for me, but it was truly for the uplifting of others. During my time at Spelman, I had a cohort of Spelman sisters and Morehouse brothers that I was not only accountable to, but we worked with daily so that we could all succeed. During those four years in Atlanta, I felt invincible. There was nothing anyone could do to stop me from becoming an engineer. And of course, since I was in Atlanta, you know who provided the soundtrack for my life during that time? Outcast. <laughs> but let's fast forward to being on this campus, this new environment at a predominantly white institution. I wasn't an athlete. That says a lot. I was a black girl from Louisiana, and I was a nerd. I was in engineering, and I was alone. No one looked like me. So that same camaraderie and friendship that I had grown accustomed through, to during my undergraduate degree and while pursuing my master's, I didn't have that anymore. But I am from Louisiana. I am a Southern debutante. I get along with everybody. So. Not having those relationships was pretty hard. And walking into that physics class every day reminded me in these subtle ways that I had no business being in that class, no business trying to pursue my doctorate, and absolutely no business thinking that I could save the world one engineer at a time. 
Why is that? By the middle of the semester, I had made the decision I was done. I was not gonna continue on. After the professor didn't pay attention to me in class, after having to have these deep philosophical conversations about affirmative action, if I was really prepared for the rigor of this program and blah, 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 those things start to weigh on you. And I never thought for once that it did. But once I walked in that physics room and all that negative energy transferred to me, I realized how much it had. So I was at the point where I was no longer gonna continue to try to justify my blackness while simultaneously trying not to be black. I could not continue the charade of being this good little model student, but I didn't speak out on injustices that I would witness or that would happen to me while at the same time skipping lab to travel to Jenna, Louisiana to protest the harsh convictions of the Jenna Six. I couldn't continue to live that way. So I finally mustered up the energy to tell my, the, my graduate advisor, who I had known for six years. This man paid for my entire graduate school education, and now I had to tell him I was quitting. So you can imagine this is one of the hardest conversations I've probably ever had in my life. When I get to his office, I'm already crying. And I'm not talking about just like a drip here, drip here. I'm talking about like full blown crying, nose is full of snots, you know, you're hyperventilating, that type of cry, just the ugly cry. <laughs> and so when I finally pull myself together, he just gives me this look like, are you done? So, I proceeded to tell him everything that I had been going through, and he got really upset. Not because I wanted to quit, but one, because I didn't come to him and tell him what I was going through. And he was hurt because we were friends. He said, as your friend, you should have been able to come to me. Because as your friend, I know that you started a tutoring program for students in grades K through 12 so that they can excel in math, science, English, and reading. As your friend, I know that more than being in my lab working on self-healing polymer composites, you love teaching my courses. And he said, as your friend, I know that you have a passion for teaching and learning that is greater than any technical research you will ever do in your life. So with that, you can quit this program, but you're not gonna quit getting your PhD. After that conversation, I felt so much better. And I think it was just more of a burden lifted off my shoulders because I was finally able to cry it out. But he didn't even stop there in that conversation. He continued to say, what you're going to do is fill out your paperwork so you can leave this program and we're gonna transfer you to Southern University's science and mathematics education program so that you can focus on what's newly emerging as engineering education, and I will still pay for it. Like, I didn't think I deserved this, but when someone sees something in you, you have to go with it. The following semester, I was in a new program. Majority of my classes transferred and I was still going to school on a free ride. I was blessed, but that doesn't happen for everyone. 
The more and more I got into engineering education research, the more I fell in love. I learned what all of those situations I had gone through finally meant. They all had a name. When that young man asserted that I didn't belong in that class, that was a microaggression. Basically, he was communicating a hostile, derogatory statement towards me that because it's so small, we don't think that it affects us, but it really does. When that teacher called on another student and engaged him in a deeper conversation, that was implicit bias. When my professor made the statement that I didn't have the mathematical skills like other students do because I come from an HBCU, that's institutional bias. But most of all, doing my research, I learned that those feelings I had of isolation and inadequacy and feeling like I didn't belong actually had a name. And that was the imposter syndrome. And all of us experience that at some point in our lives where we don't believe the credentials that we possess are actually useful to the crowd that we are a part of. I'm lucky, I'm blessed that I'm one of the few who was able to make it through. And through that process, I learned that the intersection of my race and my gender and my class is nothing in comparison to the intersection of engineering and social justice. We have to think about these things as we move forward as scientists, as engineers, doctors, lawyers. How does social justice fit into all of this? How can I continue to move forward if I'm not helping others? I want to leave you with this. I want to get as many young girls into engineering as possible. But guess what? We have to compete with girls wanting to become Instagram models, reality TV stars, or just becoming girls who love to be liked and retweeted all of the time. On the other hand, our young girls are also seeing young professors of color such as Sandra Bland and Imani Perry being pulled over for minor traffic violations and not guaranteed to make it out of them alive. So with that, I wanna say that no matter what, I will stay in formation. I will scream Black Lives Matter no matter what setting I'm in. And when I notice someone being unjustly treated, I will make sure that I say nah, just as Rosa Parks did. Because as an engineer, I can strive for not only efficient solutions to today's problems, but also a more just society. Thank you. That was Rochelle Williams. Rochelle is a Louisiana girl, Spelman woman, and lover of all things football. No stranger to implicit and institutional biases, she's an advocate for women of color in STEM and the relevancy of historically black colleges and universities. She has a BS in physics from Spelman College and both her Master's of Engineering in Mechanical Engineering and PhD in Science and Mathematics Education from Southern University and A&M College. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, Ari Daniel, Christine Gentry, Skylar Bear, Shane Hanlon, Road Lucy Waldron, and Liz Neely. The podcast is 
are produced by Rose Eveleth. This is from Brooklyn. I'm Selena Groger and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to the Caution Museum for hosting the show, to the Merzan Science and Technology Policy Graduate Fellows for being amazing partners, and to Good Advisors for good advising. Thanks for listening.